writer and director Gus Van Sant had two young actors that he wanted for his next project that he was working on back in 1991. Those two young actors were Keanu Reeves and River Phoenix. Now, Keanu was on board. Gus Van Sant uh, sent the script to Reeves' agent. Keanu wanted to do it. Boom, got one of them. Good. Now they needed River. That one wasn't going to be as easy. Why? Because River's agent wouldn't even let River read the script. And why is that? Found that interesting. Why didn't River's agent want him reading it? I think it's because River's agent didn't want this project for Phoenix. Because it was too risky. So Van Sant had a problem. Just because the agent's being a pain in the ass doesn't mean (laughs) there isn't another way. So Keanu and Van Sant thought of something. Keanu can find a way to get it to River. Keanu and River worked together on a movie called I Love You to Death just the year before. And if you remember, Reeves also acted with River's brother, Leaf, who's known as Joaquin now, in Parenthood with Steve Martin about a few years before that. So there is a connection. And as you know, in the business of show, connections mean something, just like with any other business. So it was decided Keanu would deliver the script himself to River by jumping on his motorcycle and driving from Canada to Florida, where River lived at the time, so River could read it. And that's just what he did. River read it, loved it, done. The show now had promise. The movie had promise. This week in the Actors Room, we're going to talk about one of my favorite movies. Because that's what I'm doing now in the Actors Room. Just my faves. 1991, I watched it in 94. I studied all of River's work because I found that and thought he was the most talented actor at the time. This one, My Own Private Idaho, was his best. Right alongside the movie he did with Judd Hirsch, Running on Empty. So sit back, relax, grab that beverage of choice, hold it dear, sip it, hell, guzzle it if that's your thing, and listen to this show talking about River Phoenix, Keanu Reeves, William Richard, Flea, James Russo, in my own private Idaho. That's right, I said Flea, from the Red Hot Chili Peppers. He's in it. (laughs) Here we go. Welcome back, talking about a film, My Own Private Idaho. So let's set this up. It was written and directed by Gus Van Sant, a passion project. And he did a movie before this that was very successful called Drugstore Cowboy with Matt Dillon. Another one that I like too. Um, Gus had a way of putting, you could tell, he, he writes and directs. And people that do that, 
they know what the hell they're doing. They know where the film is going and there's a good grasp of, of concept. And he did the same thing with this one, My Own Private Idaho. It's based on a lot of Shakespeare work. Uh, in particular, Henry IV, Part One and Two, and also Henry V. And the film revolves around Mike Parker and Scott Favor, played by River and Reeves. And let's talk about something first before we move forward. I want to get back to River Phoenix being sort of discouraged to take this role. River at this time was really on an upswing in his career as an actor, doing favorable roles, goody two-shoe roles. <laughs> this one, of course, is not a goody two-shoe role. And I find it fascinating that River didn't know about this project until Keanu was standing at his front door in Florida with a script under his arm in wind, just blown back because he'd been on his motorcycle. This is Keanu for about three days straight. <laughs> Why didn't the agent even tell river about it? Hmm. I think the squeaky clean image. Sure. He had an image, but I also think that the people around river at that time knew how vulnerable he was. And how passionate he was about nailing a character. And I think the agent and the family of River knew that a project like this touching him in any way would hurt him. And folks, they were right. As amazing as River is in this movie. And he is. It really did Put him and place him in a harmful way. We'll get to that at the end of the show. I know, right? <laughs> we'll get to that later. For now, let's move on. This film is deemed uh, a cult classic. And it's a notable film in the gay community. At that time, in 91, films like this really weren't very common. And they still aren't today. Uh, the rise of acceptance in all sorts of ways today is definitely coming about, for sure. But back in 91, not really. And films like this were few and far between. Uh, Gus Van Sant, the writer and director of this, was gay. So he wanted to go ahead and, and put a lot of what his passions were into film. And that's what he did with this. And I love the characters. I love the feel of it. I'm a big fan of independent films. And if they're done the right way, by God, I think they're probably some of the best films out there because they're raw, they're real. And although there are a few things in the film that seem unreal, it all makes sense. Isn't that the point? And I really do love the way Van Sant directs. And if I think that you should also check out one that he did, the drugstore cowboy one with Matt Dillon, I think you'll like that too if you enjoy this one.
as with most films, there's preparation. And this prep work requires special attention to detail. And River Phoenix, Keanu Reeves sought out that certain thing and they did it with style. They brought Flea along with them too. They pretty much invaded Gus Van Sant's house. They lived there. They partied there. They jammed there. And they also got very close to the real characters in the movie that this is based on. Mike Parker is a real person. And he was a street hustler. That's what this movie is all about. Street hustlers and their life. What they go through. What they're feeling. Uh, what is it that's driving them? What is that spark within them that's still alive? And what do they want? And River's character, Mike Parker, like I said, is a real person. So River and Mike Parker were together in Gus Van Sant's house weeks before shooting. uh, Talking about what Mike does, did, uh, how he feels. All the specifics of what happens to him day to day. And I think River wanted to know what was his most uncomfortable situation being a hustler? What was his most favorable situation? And there's actually footage of this. You can find it on YouTube where River Phoenix is drilling this guy with questions, you know, and Mike Parker, the real person is giving him truthful answers. I love that stuff. Little tidbits like that. That somebody was filming this and you could go watch River do his research for this character. You can also view Flea and River Phoenix jamming together. Flea on his bass and River on his guitar. And I want to note this. And I'm not bashing River Phoenix in any way. But you could tell how much more advanced Flea is musically than River. As much as River loved music. And I think he really did. I think... River loved music more than he loved acting. But River Phoenix was a better actor than a musician. And I'm, saying, I'm not saying that he was a bad musician. I'm not. Uh, Flea is a superior musician. A superior bass player. So, I mean, it's not that harsh of me to say that in this jam session that they were doing in 1991 in Gus Van Sant's house preparing for my own private Idaho... Flea's just jam. I mean, he's jamming away on his bass, and he's obviously the more superior musician. And River's doing the best he can just to keep up. And as much as I love this movie, and I do, <laughs> it also gives me a chance to keep talking about River Phoenix. By God, I know, hey, I can't let it go. <laughs> Another opportunity, right? Let's do a River Phoenix movie so we could talk about River Phoenix. All right. And why not? It's my most popular subject besides the documentaries that I do. As far as actors go, uh, River's the highest rated. (laughs) So I have no problem talking about him. In this movie, my own private Idaho. And what made River tick? Because it is the reason why this movie is so popular. Is because of River Phoenix. It's true. His performance. He won awards. Uh, He should have been nominated for an Oscar. Or a Golden Globe. But wasn't. But he won a lot of independent film awards. Things like that. Which is fine. Uh, It's rare for a performance in an independent movie. To break through. 
and get to the Oscars? I mean, it's possible. It's been done, no doubt. Um, but maybe it was because of the subject matter back then in 91. And they didn't, I don't know. Who knows? Who freaking knows? Uh, it could be also the way River acted back when he was nominated for Running on Empty. I think he, River was just too normal. Uh, and River wasn't one to kiss ass. I mean, he enjoyed the whole um, experience of being a top-notch Class A actor. He says that, you know, of course, you get special treatment. He loved that. I mean, who wouldn't? But River was very down-to-earth. Didn't really kiss too much ass and just wasn't thrilled with the whole Oscar scene. So maybe that had something to do with it. Who knows? But I know this. His performance was good enough to be nominated for an Academy Award. And he wasn't. Just wanted to note that. This movie was also based on a novel called City of Night. And it was uh, written by John Retchie. Gus Van Sant thought it would be a good idea. That Keanu and River both read this novel. Might as well, right? So, he gave two copies. One to River, one to Keanu. Keanu read it. River didn't. He got about a paragraph in, dropped the book, and walked away. And Gus Van Sant wasn't happy about that. <laughs> I love pointing the obvious. It's like... um. <clears throat> I'm the director, and uh, I think it'd be a really good idea if you read this book. It's going to help you with this picture, with your character. And the actor takes it, looks at it for five seconds, and just drops it on the ground, walks away. and dude, What? <laughs> um, you should read it. But that's not how River prepared himself. He talked to people on the street. He did the research hands-on. Some people like to pick up a book and do research. Some people like to do both. Pick up the book and do hands-on research. River didn't need any books. All he did was hands-on research. That's how he got his spark. He's also very talented. And he used that talent to question people. To walk the streets the way he did. So he can gain friendship and solace with people in that position. Walking the streets. Being hustlers. Sleeping in alleyways. Not too many actors can do that stuff. They use their imagination. Well, I think River liked sort of stepping into the skin. Literally doing that. And it shows in the project. It shows in the final product. I believed River 150% in this character. As much as I loved Keanu Reeves as well, probably his best performance is in this because it's so different in an independent feel. But Keanu, you could tell in and out of his character from time to time. Doing too much sometimes. As good as Keanu is in this. You could see the difference in talent as far as acting goes and how better of an actor River was. And it, I kind of like pointing that out too when you get to see that. 
you go, wow, I like Keanu. But when you see him up against River, you could see why one was better than the other. That's all. Okay, before we get into my notes, because what I do is I watch the movie and while I'm watching it, I jot down information. Things that jump out to me, things I think that are important, that sort of thing. When I do a movie, that's what I do usually. So we're going to do that. But before we do that, I want to note that in the process of Gus Van Sant writing this, he had inspiration from Shakespeare, right? Henry IV, part one, part two. And then he also had inspiration from the novel, right? This novel that he wrote, I'm sorry, that he read and then had these ideas, certain things. Shakespeare, this novel, his experiences, uh, Gus Van Sant's vision. And he was trying to put this project together, having all these thoughts, all these different things. And in the mind of an artist, uh, having all of these scattered ideas, good ones, great ones, and then placing them together to have a plot make sense. And I never think of that because when I write, I don't do that. I do it differently. Linear, linear, uh, where I go from A to B to C, you know, and then C, uh, part one, part two, and I get to D, and then whatever. I I try to do that. I go from uh, my first idea to my last. Usually, uh, I think there's only been one project I did where I had an ending first, and then I sort of worked up to that. And that was kind of interesting. And then the one project I did was based on a song. And so I just had a song and my screenplay revolved around the song. And I just sort of filled in the pieces along the way. Well, Gus Van Sant, while writing this, had all these ideas. um, And then placing together in an order that made sense to him. And he used a special technique called the cut-up technique. And this has come up three or four times in my show, this cut-up technique. And this technique was invented by William Burroughs, the famous writer, a beat writer back in the day. I'm sure you know who he is. If not, look him up. Interesting cat. Very interesting. And... William Burroughs had this technique called the cut-up technique where he would do the same thing with his writing, whether it was poetry or even writing a novel um, or anything of certain nature. And William would have all of his ideas, sometimes sentences, and write them down and cut them up, scare them all over the place. And then having all these things sort of let fate, you know, uh, come to fruition. Let fate make the decisions for you by cutting up all these ideas, throwing them in a hat, uh, and, and put them on the ground, and wherever they fall, they fall, and you take that, uh, and you have that determine what direction you go. Hell, David Bowie used this technique. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's a, a way to go. I guess I don't think I could do that. I think it's really, really out there. I mean, wow. Leaving it into the hands of fate. I find it fascinating. That's why I'm pointing it out. And that's what Gus Van Sant did with this. <laughs> the cut-up technique. 
Hmm. Here are my notes. Narcolepsy. You see it right off the bat in the beginning of the film. Mike Parker, played by River Phoenix, has narcolepsy, which means when he's stressed, his body shuts down, passes right out, passes out cold, goes into a dream state. I mean, really weird, but I love it because it's so refreshing and hardly ever done. Gus says he got this idea while doing his research on the streets in Portland. And he came across a character like that who would just fall asleep while he was talking to him. They were carrying on a conversation and this guy just would shut off, fall asleep. <laughs> right in the middle of a, of a sentence sometimes. This guy would just conk out. Thought that would make a great character. And he placed it into his main character of Mike Parker. I note that Mike Parker has a work shirt on. Of course, he's not working. It's a a mechanic shirt that has the name tag on there that's stitched on. And the name is Bob. And there's a character in this film named Bob who's very important in the picture. And I wonder if that was done on purpose. And I'm going to say yes. Uh, I think River chose to have Bob put on his shirt. And the character of Bob was supposed to be played by Daniel Day-Lewis. The historic, I mean, monster actor, right? I mean, Daniel Day-Lewis got so amazing, so freaking big, that he decided to just leave. He fulfilled everything he wanted to do. Anyway, he was supposed to play the character in this, the Bob character. For some reason, it didn't happen. It fell through. And they needed an actor to play this role. And River wanted someone he knew from his past projects. Someone he really respected. A father figure. And his name was William Richard. I brought him up in my show many times. I have even discussed things with William in the past about River. River and William were close. Working on projects right up until River's death. And he wanted William for this role so bad. And William was like, I don't want to do it. I guess William didn't think he was right for the role. Which is a mystery to me. I thought William Richard was brilliant as Bob. Brilliant. (laughs) So, I don't know what he was thinking. But I think also River saw that William would be good in this. Plus, he just wanted to work with them. They worked well together. And River loved to surround himself with people he loved. So that makes sense. And if he has the ability to get William to play Bob, then he's going to do it. And that's what he did. River whined and dined William Richard to play Bob. William finally gave in. And thankfully he did. Do you agree? How good is William Richard as Bob? And I want to say this, because this film is based a lot on Shakespearean voice, William Richard nails that. Where Keanu misses the mark at times. Watch the movie. As much as you love Reeves, he just doesn't grasp or pull off that Shakespearean flair. And folks, it's hard to pull off. Richard pulled it off. Reeves? (laughs) 
Reeves is cute. Okay? Got a nice body. William Richard, not as cute. Body, not so great. But <laughs> able to pull off that Shakespearean flair. The voice. Back to the notes I have here. River is coughing throughout the movie. Not much. But at times you notice River has a cough. And that's not fake. He actually did have a cough. In the research that he did before the movie, there's footage, of course. You can find it on YouTube. And if you notice, River has a cough. The very same cough he used in the movie. There's also an image of a brown bunny. And I think that is significant because I think it signifies Mike. Is that Mike? The harmless, sort of vulnerable brown bunny. And uh, River yells at the bunny. Is he sort of yelling at himself? I like the song in the beginning. The cattle call song. There's yodeling. It's sort of out there. But it works. So this is important to me, the first scene. And I like it. You have a phoenix on the road all by himself. He's alone. And he's going through things on his own. The the bunny. uh, You know, he's got... The road that he's on, the fucked up face, he's been there before. And then he passes out because of the stress factor. Uh, He's alone. He's scared. And he passes out. First scene, good. I like it. I'm interested. When I watched it for the first time, I felt the same way. Uh, River Phoenix is appealing in that way. You know, He comes on the screen and he had that ability to do that. You're engaged in his character. You're interested. To see what's going on with this guy. So Van Sant did a good job in, in presenting us with River right off the bat. And that is the right thing to do. Your main character. You're face to face with them. And you're interested in what's going on. And ooh, the next scene, right? The very next scene is the blowjob scene. Of course, you don't see anything. Uh, but you know a blowjob's going on. <laughs> That's all. And you get some money for it and... So it, you know, the very next scene, you know what's going on here. Uh, Mike, the main character, he's a prostitute, a male prostitute, a, a street hustler. He has sex for money. That's his job. And how uncomfortable it is, uh, him asking for the money, uh, a little extra money as well. And we're off the next scene after that. And he's on the street, and he thinks he sees his mother. Now, the mom, of course... Is his Idaho. Um, Mike Parker is from Idaho. He grew up in Idaho. With his mother and his brother. And there was comfort there. All Mike wants. Is to be home. The feeling of home. Being in his mother's arms. His mother telling him. Everything's going to be okay. And she says that, uh, you know, he, she's uh, comforting him. He's laying on her lap and she says, it's going to be all right. It's going to be all right. It's going to be all right. Is it really, though? But let's just say that I think it's safe to say Mike is seeking comfort. Uh, a home. But, but, but we're thrown right into the ringer again in reality. 
comes right back at us when we're faced with the very next scene, what Mike does. And uh, it is, of course, picking up uh, strange, cringy men uh, looking for kinky sex. And uh, the next scene is just that with the creepy, cringy, uh, clean guy. I like to call him the clean guy. And this actor, where do they find these people? Um, I'm going to look it up here. Let's see if I can find out. We got Wade. Um, no, they don't. They don't really put him in the the notes I have. Anyway, that character of all the characters, that one creeps me out the most. He wants everything clean, and it sort of turns him on. Perfection, cleansing, cleanliness, cleansiness, cleanse to be cleansed. Okay, that's where I was going. <laughs> To be cleansed turns them on. Uh, all right. Hey, I like things clean too. I'm not going to lie. I'm not the most organized person, but I like my surroundings to be clean. But it doesn't turn me on. Okay. Uh, women turn me on. Uh, but I think I like that um, we're looking into the window of a home, peeking in. And Gus Van Sant showing us the weirdness of people. They're kinks. And as strange as it is, it's interesting, right? It's like we're looking through the peephole. And although it's disturbing, we go, you know, well, weird. Oh, that's crazy. We're intrigued by it. And, you know, this guy has River dressed up like a little Dutch boy. <laughs> like the Dutch boy cleaner. He's scrubbing. And the guy's like, oh, <laughs> oh, that sound. The sound of a brush, you know. Oh. I mean, I guess this goes on. Of course it does. I mean, it does. And that's probably really minor stuff, I guess. Because the stories that are in this movie, told by the real hustlers on the streets, Gus Van Sant had the real Mike Parker and Scott Favor in this movie. They're characters in this movie, and they do a pretty good job. Both of them have monologues where they talk about what really did happen to them on certain dates that they've had. And I don't know why I find this stuff so fascinating. Is it because um, I grew up in such a, a different life? I mean, I was so comfortable in my childhood, protected, safe. And there are other kids out there that didn't have that. And I find it fascinating what other kids have had it gone through in their life to survive. Like, I never had that. I've always had the comfort and net of a family underneath me. In case I fall, they're there to pick me up. That's not the case with a lot of other people. Boys, girls, and the like. They have to make it and survive on their own and do things they don't want to do to survive. And that's what Gus brings to us. In this film. And you have to take notice. Of films like this I think. I think it's important. And it's so wonderful that he had River and Keanu. And William Richard and Flea. <laughs> Flea is not a bad actor. Flea is not a good actor. But Flea is not a bad actor. I think it's because he's such an interesting guy. Flea and he is. That I mean. <laughs> I, don't, I just think it's great. That. Gus Van Sant had all these wonderful 
um, artists in this movie. And it just comes together very well. So let's get back to my notes. Next, Mike is picked up by a pretty woman. And he's kind of thrown back by this. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Not some slimy, perverted older guy is picking me up, but a pretty lady and also a rich lady. She brings him to the house. It's a big mansion, pretty much. And uh, River walks in and sees, finally, Keanu Reeves' character, Scott, and another character. Uh, two other hustlers are in the house already. And it's explained, the lady, uh, she needs a couple of guys to get warmed up. Nothing kinky, but it's just the way she is. Uh, Mike, I think, is the first to be, you know, to take care of this woman. And he can't pull it off. It's too stressful for him. And the narcolepsy takes over, scares the shit out of the lady. And Keanu Reeves leaves River's character in the neighborhood. It's a nice neighborhood. But he leaves him passed out in the middle of a lawn. I mean, why did they just drag him away? This choice in the in the script, leaving River there. Why? <laughs> did the did Gus want us to see River on an island throughout this movie? Like he's he's cared for, but not enough in that stage in the film. Why leave him there? Was it safer for him just to be alone in that neighborhood? Is that what it was? This was a choice by uh, the, the Scott character to do this, played by Reeves. Leaving Mike in the middle of a lawn in some suburb in, I think at this point they're still in Portland, leaving him there. But very important in the lady's house. If you look in the scene, in one of the scenes, there is a picture of a brown bunny behind River. Ah, another brown bunny. Hmm. And I think to myself, Vincent Gallo. (laughs) I know. Why is it that my projects are sort of coming together in a weird way? That they shouldn't, but they do. Vincent Gallo did a movie called The Brown Bunny. Was he a fan of River Phoenix? And did they ever cross paths? Hmm. I don't know. Should do some research on that. Wouldn't be surprised if they did. Phoenix's acting in the movie is superb. I put his acting is subtle. He takes in a room. He picks up objects. And you can tell he's really feeling them instead of just grabbing them. That's very important because you're picking it up with meaning. Not just picking it up to pick it up. When a director may say, pick that up and use it in the scene. You may not have done that organically because someone else told you to do it. I don't care if Vance Sant told River to pick up that seashell in the one scene or not. He really picks it up. He really puts it to his ear And he really listens. Because I'll tell you something. The lady that was in the scene with him also takes the seashell and puts it to her ear. And believe her. (laughs) Sorry. I don't believe it. I don't believe you actually were listening to that tiny little ocean 
and waves within that seashell. And folks, there are waves and oceans inside seashells. But simply put, River Phoenix and his character of Mike are so completely vulnerable. That's the way Mike should be. And by God, that's the way River Phoenix portrays it. Vulnerable. Reeves has a brief monologue that sets up his rich, entitled character. Also very important in the plot line. Scott is going to be getting an inheritance soon. And he's sort of just doing this lifestyle to do it. Just to see what's out there. Okay. (laughs) He's a rich kid, basically. And he's being a jackass. Or just experiencing things. Living on the streets and scaring the shit out of his rich father. Who happens to be the mayor, I guess. And oh by God, the next character that is introduced to us. I love this guy. Hans, the German guy. Hans, and the actor that played Hans. His name is Udo Kier. And I think he did really well too. Uh, I've seen him in other things. Udo. What a name, Udo. And he was also in um, Ace Ventura, Pet Detective. And the snobbish guy. The, the snobbish German guy in Ace Ventura who throws the party and Ace comes out of the bathroom after he snoops around. That guy. He's also in this. He plays a perverted German guy who just wants to have sex with boys. And Reeves, I'm sorry, River. River, actually. He notices this right off the bat upon meeting him. Like, this guy's a fucking pervert. I could tell. And he was. <laughs> And this guy, this German guy, just wants to give Mike a ride home. And uh, River's just like, fuck that. He goes, no, you go home. You know, I don't want to ride from you. Because he can sense how creepy this guy is. Okay, th- the next scene is interesting. Uh, there's uh, River and Keanu okay, in the scene. And behind them is a statue. And I put what was written on the statue, I found interesting. Uh, this is what it said. The coming of the white man. Did you hear me? The coming of the white man. A lot of white men coming in this film. (laughs) I gotta tell you, I give... As an actor, I acted a long time ago. I don't consider myself an actor anymore. But when I did act a long time ago, God, I gave so much credit to actors that can do gay movies <clears throat> if they're not gay, okay? It's almost like telling a gay person to do straight stuff. It's weird. If that's not your thing, sorry, it's got to be strange to do. So I give credit to River and Keanu for not only doing it, but having the courage to take that script and go, I could do this. I'm not afraid to do this. Bring it on. And I love how when this movie was completed and they were talking to Reeves about that and saying, were you afraid to do this? And how it's going to, you know, tarnish your image. And Keanu, I love what Keanu said. 
He said, image. What are you talking about? Image. I don't understand your question. Image. <laughs> and she's like, well, doing a gay movie, it will that hurt you in some way? He's like, no. <laughs> it's like, I'm an actor. Um, that's what actors do. And that's the right answer. It's not, oh, I'm so heroic for, you know, I, I took that script and I said, by God, I'm going to make history. <laughs> you know, um, <clears throat> people will look back years from now and go, wow, look what straight Keanu did. <laughs> he simply said, um, why? I'm not, my image? What image? I'm an actor. I'm going to take that on. And I did. End of story. Right answer. And it should be, right? And River, you don't even have to ask River about that. He was he was pretty um, open to that. And although I think that his image wasn't that, of course. I mean, look at what the agent was thinking in his family. Um, his talent before that. I don't think he was questioned about that. I think, and plus, plus, he pulled it off so well, right? Um, we weren't surprised. And just well done. I've, I'm always just, I always give the highest respect. I don't know. I don't know what that I was just saying. It was murmuring. Basically, I'm speechless. And it's just blah, blah, coming out of me because, folks, I don't know if I could have done that. I mean, I stopped acting when I was about 24, I want to say. Something like that. And at 24, folks, I wasn't ready. I don't know. If I was presented that, I don't know if I, I don't think I could have done it. So I really do. I, I, well done. I, not every actor can do that. And uh, even ones that are open to it, right? That are just like, yeah, bring it on. I want to do that, you know. Um, they may not pull it off. And even once they're starting the fence, I really do give a lot of credit. And it goes to show you that being an actor, you got to be open, man. You, you, you have to. Um, don't sell yourself short. Uh, be open to anything and everything. Because don't let any door shut for you. Just because you're afraid to do it. So... Maybe my 24-year-old self back then didn't know that. And through time, I've realized all these little things an actor should do in order to get work. Okay, Don't shut yourself off. Keep going. Uh, don't be afraid. Take it on and see if you can do it. And if you can't, all right. But don't um, push things away because of fear. Bob comes to town. And thank God he did. Because the movie really does take a different sort of turn when Bob comes to town. Bob Pigeon, the fat man. And as Scott says, my true father. I think the Scott character learned a lot from Bob in the past in this story. And sees him as his true father figure. And also all the other hustlers love Bob because he's fun. He loves to steal. And he always has plenty of drugs around. And as he is coming down the street, it's a big deal. There are hustlers on the rooftops like Scott and Mike seeing Bob from above. And Bob is with his friend, 
his compadre, and that's Bud, played by Flea. And I love this little scene between Bob and Bud. Flea saying, oh, the things we've seen, Bob. The things we've seen, by God. Because I guess Bob was away with Bud doing something, something mind-blowing in the mind of Bud because they're just blown away by all the experiences they've the adventures they've been on. And they can't wait to tell all the other hustlers they're back in town and they're going to do some damage, goddammit. I note right here that William Richards' performance as Bob Reminds me of Brando. In a way. There's something about Richard. That reminds me of Brando. In the 70s and 80s. Similar. Hmm. Bob's back. And because he's been on this journey. He's sleeping. River's character Mike. Steals his coke. And I like this scene. Where he's trying to steal his coke. And he's and Mike and Scott. Are trying to inhale. As much cocaine. As they can. And they do. Bob wakes up. Realizes. That he has been. Taken advantage of. His coke. His drugs. Gone. And reacts. Great scene there. The the house. Comes alive. It wakes up. When Bob wakes up. There's activity. There's talk. There's commotion. And you get to see. The brilliant writing. Of Van Sant. The brilliant directing. Of Van Sant. All these. Fascinating characters. And they're dancing around with one another. And it's beautiful. You also have a nice scene between River and William Richard. Uh, you can tell their chemistry. They, they do a, like a little popping thing in their acting. Where River comes up and they look at each other. And they sort of they pop <laughs> in, 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 a, in a moment. And you don't see that very often. That's the chemistry. And that's why these brilliant actors want to work with people they're comfortable with. Because of those moments that come out. They're so comfortable there. Like Falk and Cassavetes. And, you know, and, and, and Mathau and Lemon. They're just moments that are, are gold. They're brilliant. The, you, you, these are little moments that bless the acting world. And you see it here in this movie. I also note Flea in this scene. He's got the guns. And he's being stupid. He's being careless. And he's scaring the shit out of everybody around him. I love that. And Bob has to sort of... You know, talk him down. <laughs> I wonder if Flea did that on his own. I try to find notes on this about Flea and as big as Flea is into his acting career, um, he really doesn't talk about it. I, he wants to talk about it, I guess. But I can't find any good juicy stuff about Flea's acting. The one thing I did find out, which I thought was good, interesting, was he was in, and we're talking about Flea. Flea was in Back to the Future Part 2 and 4. No, 2 and 3. Sorry. There was never a 4. He played Nails. And that was Marty's boss. And they asked him about that at one point in an interview I found. And Flea said, that was garbage. I didn't like it. I, I was so, I don't know, in awe. Of Flea. By saying that. Because Flea. I feel the same way. I thought Back to the Future Part 2 and 3. Were subpar at best. Which was so disappointing. Because you know how I feel. About Back to the Future. Right? And they had all that time. To come up 
with sequels that were also at least pretty good. I don't think two and three are pretty good. Flea agreed, and I'm sure as pumped as Flea was to be in Back to the Future Part 2, and I'm sure he was. And then they do the movie, and he sat down to watch it and went, Motherfucker. The movie really wasn't that good. So, just wanted to point that out. But Flea with the guns. Nice moment. And really free acting from Flea. Ooh, free acting from Flea. (laughs) That kind of flows. A little hard to say. In the plot line, it's pretty obvious that Bob, he wants Scott's money. When Scott gets his inheritance, which is going to be a lot of money, Bob hopes and prays that Scott stays with his current lifestyle, being a hustler, because they'll all benefit from Scott's wealth. Of course they will. But Scott makes it pretty clear that's not going to happen. But Bob is hoping to pray that Scott will change his mind. I also note here that I find Keanu Reeves kissing Bob to be uncomfortable for all of us, including Reeves, it looks like. <laughs> as open as Reeves was, playing gay, he doesn't do a very good job. But, but, I also thought about this. Scott, is he gay? Those of you who know this movie have seen it several times. Is Scott gay? And I think a lot of you are going to say no. He's not gay. So he would be uncomfortable kissing Bob. He just sort of dabbled, as they say. A cute and good moment in the movie. One of those little moments you got to really look for. Is there's a scene between Bob... And Scott. And they're talking about the fact that Bob is fat. And when was the last time you saw his dick? (laughs) And Bob says, oh, about four years. And when Bob says, oh, about four years. River is right behind him and smirks. River is always in the scene. He's never out of the scene. And that proves it. He's always listening. He's engaged. And folks... I know you're probably thinking to yourself, I was just about to switch thought, but I might be some of you out there going, well, okay, what's the big deal about that? Well, I'll be honest with you. A lot of actors are waiting for their next line. A lot of actors aren't really paying attention a lot because they're too wrapped up in their own shit. They're too wrapped up in their own character. The brilliant ones are actually in the scene. Listening. (laughs) I know, right? Go figure. (laughs) You don't see it very often, but those little moments where they are paying attention and actually listening to the dialogue that their partners are giving them and reacting truthfully off of them are the ones actually doing their job. It's called being an actor. The real ones. No bullshit. There's the uh, theft scene where they dress up as monks. Uh, Cute scene. Not my favorite. It was okay. We'll move on to uh, the motorcycle scene. And I find this fascinating that they use the motorcycle in the movie because Keanu had to ride all the way to Florida to get River to do the project. And they placed the motorcycle in the film. And that image of Keanu uh, 
controlling the bike, of course, it's his bike, and River on the back of the bike uh, is posterized, of course, and I had that poster in my New York City uh, apartment back in 1997, whatever, and I had one of the posters I had on my wall was that, my own private Idaho poster with Keanu and River in that posterized image right in the middle of the movie. That's a, a classic and historic image. Maybe just for me, but I think it should be for everyone, right? <laughs> but it is for me. And we move on to the brother visit. River is going to visit his brother in Idaho. He is now in search of his mother. It's gotten to the point in the plot line where River needs to find his mom. And the first place he's thinking is a visit to his brother. He needs to get some information from this guy, his brother. For me, one of my most favorite scenes in the movie, when we visit the brother in the trailer. Shitty, stinky trailer. This is Mike's brother. And his name. Hold on. It's played by uh, James Russo, who I like very much. His name's Richard. Okay, Richard is Mike's brother. And they're in his trailer. And Richard is trying to tell Mike, you know, what his mother's really about. He doesn't know the whole truth. And he gives him some stupid story about his mom. And, and even Keanu's character, Scott, he doesn't believe it. You see him in the background and you even go, well, that's corny. What a bunch of bullshit. That, you know, the brother's just trying to lay this line just to give River a little comfort about his mom. And River's not buying it. He knows the truth. And when you watch this movie for the first time, you're just uneasy. You should be. Like, Van Sant set it up that way. You're just like, I want it out of this trailer. <laughs> it's gross in here. I could smell it from my room. And something's happening here. Like, something's going to be revealed. And we don't know if we should know about it. But we're going to know about it. Because it's in the script. The brother tries to tell River who his real dad is. It's, he's telling him it's some f- stupid fucking asshole. The mom dated. He's a prick. And she ended up, the mom ended up shooting this guy in the theater, uh, driving theater, whatever, watching uh, Rio Bravo. And Mike is, that's not the truth. I know what the truth is. And you're my brother. You've always been my brother. I know you're my brother, but you're also my dad. You're my dad. And the brother's like, shocked. And I find that interesting. That the brother didn't have an inkling that Mike knew. He probably did. But when he actually says it, it hits the brother, like Richard, right in the face. Like, oh, he's known the whole time that I'm really his dad. Yeah, very uh, unsettling moment in the film that this film is bringing out a lot of emotion and shock value moments. Where you're just, whoa, wait, wait a minute. <laughs> wait. And then, like, a lot of people watch it for the first time, probably stop the movie at that point and go, wait, let me get this straight. Mike, okay. Uh, his mom and dad, we don't know. We know, we don't know the mom. We images of her. We're not introduced to her really in real time. 
but he visits his brother, and his brother is trying to convince him that his real father's dead. There's no, you know, that's fruitless. And then Mike says, I know the truth. You're my dad. So his brother is his dad? That's fucked up, folks. If that's it, if that's like what happened here, the mom slept with her own son and then they had Mike and the brother getting this, you know, Mike acknowledging this, telling him, you're my dad. I know you're my dad. Uh, the, the dialogue, the, the script, the writing, perfect. And the delivery by the brother simply saying, you know too much. Amazing scene. All the actors did their job in that scene. Um, and the writing was right on. Uh, it's, it's a climactic scene in the movie. When you find that information out. It's disturbing. But it's interesting. So anyway, the brother presents a postcard. That the mother had sent him. And says, you're going to have to find her here. This is the last thing I got from her. This is the best I can do for you. To find our mother. (laughs) So anyway, Scott and Mike, next scene, are at a hotel. And I note, you see the director and writer, Gus Van Sant, at the hotel in one of the scenes as a bellhop. He's in the background. Sure as shit. (laughs) I like that. I love it. When directors put themselves... In the movie. And I'm talking about a small role. Nothing big. Not like Quentin. Quentin likes to give himself a good acting role. God bless him. And you know how I feel about Quentin's acting. It's horrible. But. Right. Directors know. They're not actors. Most of them anyway. Uh, There are actors that become directors. But it usually doesn't go the other way around. And at the hotel. Is Hans. Another Hans sighting. We can't get enough of Udo, right? Is that his name? Udo. So Mike and Scott decide to hook up with this guy, milk him for all that he has. (laughs) Because they know this guy, he looks rich. So they're up in his apartment and the scene with River in the bathtub with all the bubbles and stuff. That's an interesting little, I don't know, that visual. That's weird. I guess if you're, you know, I mean, I... Just gonna say it. It's a scene for the ladies that like River and the guys that like River, I guess. Seeing him in the bathtub. But you know, the the good part in that scene is the way he takes advantage of Hans and the way he feels about Hans is so plain in that scene. When he's in the tub and Hans is at the door, like, Mike, what do you want? And he's like, I want fries. Three orders of large fries and a coke. <laughs> I like that scene in the interaction where they're actually acting towards the door. You have Hans acting towards the door and you have River acting towards the door and with each other. All right. Hard, easy. I don't know. Never done it, but they did good. And then we have another weird part in the movie. When Hans does his little, would you say, performance art sketch in front of Mike and Scott. And <laughs> German music, and he's uh, lip syncing to this, and does like a little act 
he turns off the lights and he's using the lamp and everything. It's so weird and unusual that Scott and Mike are visibly uncomfortable while this whole thing is going on, especially Mike. Rivers' character is so turned off by this guy. It's incredible that Mike is there. Scott doesn't seem too perturbed, maybe just bothered, because I would say halfway through his little act, Hans's act, Scott gets up and unplugs the radio to stop the song. And they start clapping, like, that was beautiful. <laughs> Please stop. So anyway, the, the three hook up that night, and there's the sex scene still framed. And then you got Mike and Scott the next morning checking out of the hotel, right? And you have a John Caviezel sighting. That's right, folks. John Caviezel. You know who he is. He has a scene in this movie, young in his career. He plays the desk clerk at the hotel. He has one line, but I like how John Caviezel, Keanu Reeves, and River Phoenix hit a scene together. So we got to note this. Jim Caviezel, of course, was in The Passion of the Christ, directed by Mel Gibson. One of the most disturbing movies you'll ever see. They are currently working on the sequel, folks, to that movie. And if you look it up and find out what it's about, Mel Gibson... I can't wait. Although you are very questionable in a lot of ways, sir. He's a damn good director. Can't wait for the sequel. The sequel is going to concentrate what happened those three days where he's buried before he rises. And if you know this, Jesus, and I know this episode is way too long. It's okay, right? You can stop this and we'll pick back up, you know, next week. But anyways... If you know this, being Christian or Catholic, Jesus was gone for three days and then rose from the dead after the crucifixion. Mel Gibson is going to concentrate on what happened to Jesus in hell during that time. How does he think of this stuff? I know we, as being Catholic, that stuff crossed your mind. Like, Whoa, I wonder what happened the whole time, those three days. Like, what did Jesus see? Well, Mel Gibson is going to give his take on what Christ saw those three days before he rose from the dead. But the reason why I talked about that is because Jim Caviezel, who plays Jesus, <laughs> can't wait to do that sequel. He said, this is from Jim Caviezel, quoted, it's going to be the greatest movie ever made. Can you believe that? Now I get it, you hype up your movies, but whoa. <laughs> can't wait, Jim. And Jim, I loved your uh, cameo. In my own private Idaho. They get to Italy. To find the mom. Guess what? Mom's not there. This flaky bitch. Sorry Mike Parker. Your mom's kind of a flaky bitch. She's been out of Italy for years I guess. Mike's crushed. And then you have Scott. Who's with Mike. Hooking up with the local Italian girl. At the villa. Mike is crushed. Because Mike loves Scott. And we're going to point this out. The fire scene between Scott and Mike is passionate at the end. But before that, it's uh, Mike revealing to Scott how much he cares for him. And the fact that 
He's bisexual and has no problem showing love and passion for Scott. And will it be reciprocated? And Scott sort of uh, gives in to Mike and they, they hold each other. And I, and I want to note a very powerful scene. Um, eh, I think it's okay. I, I, I think it's fine. I think it works. I'm not saying I don't like it. That's, I just, I'm just saying I don't love it. But what's interesting is that River Phoenix wrote that scene. Uh, Gus had the script in that scene in his script, but it wasn't as informative, I guess. <laughs> uh, River added a lot of dialogue for that scene. He felt that scene to be very important in the plot and in the film. And... It was fine. It was great. I just wanted to point out that scene and the fact that River wrote that scene. But the reason why I wanted to point out that scene is because Mike loves Scott and is crushed that Scott has a girlfriend and they're at the villa for a few days and Mike has to hear Scott and this girl make love. He has to, you know, sit at the table while they eat spaghetti and Scott and this girl are flirting with one another and kissing each other. You can see the disgust on River's face. He blows smoke at them. <laughs> He's just disgusted. And I also want to say that there is footage of cut scenes that I think you can find. You got to look for them. And there's extended scenes of River dealing with this part in the movie. Uh, just standing there. Feeling something. And you get to see River... Uh, Act, uh, be Mike for like minutes at a time, just standing there, taking in moments and feeling. Um, it's hard to find. I tried looking for that footage recently and I couldn't find it. So I don't know if it's gone for now. It, YouTube and other venues, things come and go. Uh, so if you're sort of hardcore River fans or whatever, or uh, Idaho fans, keep a lookout. Okay, next up is Mike sticking around Italy for a little while and then eventually going back home. He's going back to Portland. And he goes into deep depression when he gets back. And it's pretty clear on that. Gus decides to show Mike going through substance abuse and depression, sleeping a lot, being high, and the like. So dealing with what just happened. The fact that he can't find his mom. And Scott will be leaving his life probably forever. Being in love with another girl. And the fact that he's going to be getting his inheritance soon. Mike knows his life is changing. And Scott, of course, changes as well. He does get his inheritance. And becomes part of the norm. High class. Guess what? His limo pulls up right in front of Bob. Bud. Played by Flea. And Mike. Played by River. <laughs> Scott. He's a big guy now. <clears throat> Walks into a beautiful restaurant. So this is it. This is Bob's payday, right? Or possible payday. Yeah, he's got to find out what's going on with his buddy Scott. Of course, 
Bob's the fat man. He wants that money. I mean, this is the father figure, right? Even Scott has said, he loves Bob more than his own father. Well, we're going to find out. And this is where Bob confronts Scott. And Scott denies him. Says you are a part of my life, but that is the past. And although you've taught me a lot, I have to let you go. And please, I never want to see you again. This crushes Bob, of course. Not only is he not going to get the money. (laughs) Obviously. It just wasn't going to happen. He loses Scott, too. It crushes him and kills him. For the next scene, he dies and he dies with pain. He dies with sorrow. William Richard does a phenomenal dying scene. And then there are the funerals. Scott is burying both his fathers. His real father and Bob Pigeon. Wonderfully done writing. Bringing that together. And you have the, of course, very serious funeral going on here. With Scott's real father. And then down the way, over the hill, you have the funeral of Bob. Of course, you got all the street hustlers and friends of Bob giving an unconventional funeral. A lot of singing, dancing, almost a celebration of life for William Richard, for Bob. And there's a great moment when Scott seems more interested to be at the other funeral. He keeps looking over and he keeps paying attention. And then you have a shot of Mike Parker, played by River, looking over to the other funeral with a smile and smirk. And then finally, we have the ending. The end of the movie, it all comes full circle. You got Mike Parker, played by River Phoenix, right back where he started on that same road. The road with the fucked up face. And he looks Into the sunset. He looks across the road. And he says this. Quote. I'm a connoisseur of roads. I've been tasting roads my whole life. This road. Will never end. End of quote. But this episode. Will finally end. Thank you for listening. To this episode of the Actors Room. My name's Jeff Tarowski. And I hope you enjoyed the show. And learned a little bit about the movie, about River, Keanu, and other people in the film. A little bit about Gus Van Sant, too. Okay, I want a few notes before I end it. I just want to say that the actor that played Bob and River's good friend, William Richard, passed away about a year ago. And I didn't find out until about a week after he died. And I was just, I I knew he wasn't feeling well. He's an older guy. But I was just like, oh, damn, you know? Wow. So you will be missed, Mr. Richard. Um, He did some great films. Uh, A very passionate, passionate man. And loved his work. And was uh, a good friend to a lot of the people he worked with. 
especially River. And there was a point where we were going back and forth, William and I, and then it just stopped. Now I know why. You know, he was sick. So it's very unfortunate. And so you know, saying goodbye to William Richard, uh, who I, I felt was a big part of Idaho. Very big part. And since we're here, and before I go, because it's been a long episode, I want to give a little bit more information about River's death and put a little more closure on it. Might as well, since he's on the table here. <clears throat> the acting room table, right? Plus, having Flea in the movie, right? And the connections between River and the Red Hot Chili Peppers is significant. And they were around, especially Flea. And might as well talk about this guy, <clears throat> John Frusciante. Finally said his name. I always say John F. When I talked about River, it's because I didn't want to really just come out and say it. But, you know, I think I'm just going to end it by saying this. There was a lot of just fucked up drugs and situations and just music and acting and Hollywood and rock and roll. It's just in in the early 90s, it was a mess. And River was thrown into this world, okay? And I saw the good and the bad of John Frusciante the past couple of weeks doing research. And I don't really know how you feel about him. I respect Frusciante as a musician, of course. What a guitar player. Wow. Unmatched on a lot of levels. Um, but his significance with River, okay, at that time, at the height of Frusciante's drug addiction, is notable. And he didn't know who the fuck he was, man. <laughs> Frusciante had no idea who he was. And dealing with what happened that night at the Viper Room and also feeling that he had a hand in some way, what happened to River nearly killed him. There's an interview with John given right after River died. I don't know how the hell this documentarian got this interview, but he got it. There's an interview with John Frusciante months after River died. And wow, you want to see somebody at the end of their rope? Watch that. Frusciante has no idea what was going on. It's very sad. And it's unbelievable that John turned it around the way he did. And he's still alive. It's a miracle. So, wanted to point that out. And the Red Hot Chili Peppers are amazing. I've been listening to them for the past two weeks because I just am. Man, I love that band. I do. Anyway, long episode. And that's because I don't do them a lot. So, I just kept talking. I guess I had a lot on my mind. And thank you for listening. Tune in to other shows on my podcast. 
This is what, 134, I think? There's 133 other shows. So even if you do love the show, go back. Listen to some other ones while I try to do research on future shows. (laughs) Obviously, it takes me more than a week now to do them. So there you go. Thank you. God bless you. And once again, thank you, Gus Van Sant, Keanu Reeves, River Phoenix, William Richard, rest in peace, and Flea. (laughs) I love this movie. I do. Thanks again. God bless you. Have a good one. Cheers.